This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. You guys this, this evening, and uh, I couldn't help but to think back to that mission trip when we were, yes, we were a little bit different back then. Um, dreamt a lot of dreams and were excited about the things of God and um, I am tremendously um, glad that personally that our excitement didn't actually wane, just grew and grew and we still dream big dreams and um, Sias was a couple of weeks ago, he was in Burundi, um, just a few weeks before I went there, so I just got back from Burundi um, about uh, two days ago, so tonight if I get my vocab a bit mixed up or so, it's because my body is still a bit all all over the place, but I just want to show you a short video clip from uh, um, our time there. It was on our journey from, from the pastor where we stayed, from his house to the church. Um, I think some of you guys are going to Burundi again in, in July. That's fantastic. The country really needs the gospel. It's a massive open door for us to reach and to disciple not just Burundi, but also the neighboring nations as well, Tanzania and Congo and Zambia. And we can do that through Burundi. So I want to encourage especially um, professional people, you guys studying for your exams, don't study for an exam, study to get a key, amen? A key to your destiny that God, that God has for you. It's not, it's not about the exam, it's about the key that God is wanting to give you to impact your community and to impact the nations around you. So um, if you guys can just play that short video clip for us before we get into to the rest. We're driving in the rain. It never rains this time of year. Now we're raining. It's raining. We have more space now than we had in the minibus yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> heading to Sainai. Now we are heading to Sainai. Oh, there's lots of space. Yeah. 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 Join us in the back. That's where the fun side of the island. You guys look like the scriptures. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Huh? Sure. Abundance. Sure. What do the guys there at the back say? Say hello. hello. Say, we love Liverpool. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. They will not say it. Uh, they don't love it. Uh, I'm sure you can say it. Pastor, you can say it. I love Liverpool. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I took the gospel of Liverpool there as well. And. Uh, no, that's a joke, all right? There's no, there's no such thing. But what was amazing was just, we had so much fun with Pastor Everest and his wife and the kids, and we headed to the church service. The, the service lasted about seven hours. Yeah, so got there, and then it was this whole big extended joyful experience to, to be with them. And I was, again, just so struck by the joy that the Burundian believers have. And if you know anything about Burundi, you would know that Coming from our perspective, you would think that they have less reason to be joyful than what we do. Um, there's a beautiful school that they've built for the kids, but those kids, most of them eat one meal a day. Uh, maybe they eat in the morning, maybe they eat in the, in the evening. Um, two out of five people, HIV AIDS positive. The average number of years that kids go to school, there's about five years. The mortality rate is through the roof. Um, most people don't grow beyond the age of 45 or 50. A couple of years ago, your life expectancy in Burundi was 37 years. 
right? It's the second poorest country in, in Africa. Now, you would think that most people there would be extremely depressed. It's not the case, hey, pastors here. People there have such a tremendous joy. And I was challenged by that. I was challenged about how did we in the Western world, in, in many of our contexts, how did we allow the devil to, to move our joy, to, to shift our joy away from a center point where whether it's going well with us or whether we're in tough situations, we can maintain our equilibrium. And for many of you guys, during your exam time, this is a test, not just on an academic level, it's a test also on a spiritual level. Amen? Because a test both reveals and shapes your character at the same time. Can, can you agree with that? A test reveals your character, so it shows you what's inside of you, and it also shapes your character if you allow it to. In other words, you can learn from the test. If you were to walk down the road and bump your foot against a stone and something jumps out of your mouth, right? There was a test. Whatever comes out of your mouth reveals what was in your heart. Now you can look back at it and say, oh my goodness, there was a lot of anger or aggression in my heart there. Let me deal with that. Or joy comes out and praise comes out or forgiveness comes out when the taxi swerves in front of you, like in Burundi, there are a lot of taxi motos, all right, guys driving on the motorbikes, a lot of cars going there in the crazy speed across all those potholes, and then I sat at the front of Pastor Everest's vehicle, I prayed a lot, all right, I should have known when Anton, Pastor Anton, how many of you guys, you know Anton, all right, he's one of the most fearless people we have in our movement, all right, and so when he told me that he was praying on his way to church, I should have known. It is it's quite an experience driving there, all right? So very often I felt very close to Jesus. I felt that this, I was thinking, is my will and testament? Is that in order? Did I tell my wife where everything is? And so I realized there are a couple of things I need to put in place before I, I go somewhere again. But the reality is that moments like that, it reveals what's in your heart. And I was struck by the fact that the pressure that the believers are in, in a community like Burundi is revealing a lot of godly character. There's so much joy, the way they love one another, the way they share things, the way that they stand together. And I think many of us during our exam times, it's a good opportunity for you guys to think about how am I reacting during this time? How am I behaving during this time? Not just am I passing my test, that is crucially important, right? Please pass your exams. But also, what is your behavior like during this time? What do you fall back upon during this time? Because exam time doesn't stop when your university career finishes. Exam time continues for the rest of your life. It just takes different shapes and different sizes. And so I want to pray for you guys this evening. I'm trusting God for a big impartation of, of joy to carry you through these next few weeks, but also to lay a foundation for what I hope will carry you into the rest of your life as well. So let me pray for us. Father, this, this evening as, as we are before you, God, we want to bow our heads, Lord, and bend our knees before you, and before your word, Lord, because we understand that everything else is dust and air, everything else fades away except your word that remains for all of eternity. And so, Lord, we are dependent upon both your word and upon your spirit tonight to come and change us, God, not just to stimulate us for a few moments and give us a few good laughs, Lord, but to come and transform us in our thinking, in our being, in our relating to you and in our relating to one another. And even, God, in the way we relate to ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for the amazing things that you have done already in this room. And thank you that you will continue to 
to shape our hearts, Lord. Continue even beyond the sound of my voice to move in hearts and in minds tonight, Father. I pray especially for those who feel incredibly desperate right now, who have so many challenges that they are facing and they don't know how they're going to get through it. I pray for an impartation of hope, Father, in Jesus' name. A reminder that the grave is empty. A reminder, Lord, that the cross still speaks a better word over us than any other word. In Jesus' name, amen. There's this beautiful hymn that we, we sing around Christmas time, and it says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, now we sing. Let the earth receive her king. Joy to the world, now we sing. Let the angel voices sing, let the angel voices ring, joy to the world, now we sing. Let men their songs employ, joy to the world, now we sing, repeat the sounding joy. It's, it's a, a beautiful hymn, it is a powerful hymn. The tragedy for me very often about our, our Christmas time is that most of those songs only get sung around Christmas time. And they are so powerful, they, they're such powerful reminders of the reason why we can be joyful. The reason why we don't live our lives simply geared around being happy, but geared around being in God's will. And the reason why we can have joy and not just happiness is the fact that God is the center of our universe. That, that joy has come to the world because Christ has come to the world. And the reason why you can be joyful during your exam time, the reason why you can be joyful during a stressful time at work is because Christ has come to your world. If you think about it, the old concept, and, and, and why I played you that video around um, Liverpool there, thrown in there. So the, the kids of Fast Ever Reese, they're Barcelona fans, all right? I forgive them for that. Not everybody, you know, is completely sanctified yet. So they're Barcelona fans. And I, obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan, right? There's probably some Man U fans in the house. Any Manchester United fans? Any Manchester City fans in the house? Okay, you guys are more rugby peeps, hey, all right, soccer, I've got the wrong crowd here, ish, all right, got to think of another example, okay, but try to imagine, right, being a Liverpool fan, I was still at primary school the last time we won the Premier League, all right, it's a long time ago, all right, so, so I've got an expectation of joy that is banked upon the Champions League match that's being played on Saturday, all right, I'm looking forward to that, I'm, no, I'm not interceding for that, but I am looking forward, all right, to to that match because there is going to be joy that erupts in my heart when we win that. And for you guys, it might be, you know, um, the storm is winning or it might be your, your results at the end of the semester. When you experience joy, you experience something inside of you that you have been looking forward to and it invades everything about you. It invades your senses, it invades who you are as a person, it, it touches your body, it does certain things to your hands, to your to your feet, if you're really very radical, your feet would start moving maybe, you know, but something would happen to you because joy has been given to us not as an abstract construct. If you think about it, God created human beings with five senses, women with six, men with five, all right? Five physical senses. Why did he do that? You know, why did God decide to give us a sense of taste so you can experience things? Experienced a lot of beautiful tastes in, in Burundi, stuff that I haven't tasted before. Amazing. My stomach is catching up with, 
with the, um, the rest of my body in that regard. But amazing tastes, amazing sights and sounds that we experience, smells that we have. I mean, many of you guys, when you walk into that foyer, or you walk into a coffee shop, all sort of weird things start happening to your body because of the smell of coffee. Isn't that so? I know you guys aren't addicted to coffee here in, in, some, in Stellenbosch. You don't have that problem. But I know some people, that when they smell coffee, things start happening to them. There's a physiological reaction that starts going off, and they begin to feel things, tremendous feelings of exuberance, and they can tackle the day. And when they don't smell the coffee, the opposite happens. Can't get out of bed. It's just a tough day. And then that smell invades them, invades their world. Why did God create us that way? The tragedy for me is that more and more our world shifts us away from using our five senses. We are now content with looking at a picture of a steak or at a picture of a mountain on Facebook or somebody else's amazing experience. And it's all shifting us away from us actually being present with the moment where you can touch things and see things and hear things and, and feel things. And remember that God created us in his image. So think about it. God created you and me in his image. So he gave us five senses. Some of you guys are wired in a way where you, um, you want to hear, I love you. Somebody says that to you. If they say to you, they're proud of you, your heart gets a warm, fuzzy feeling. Right? You, you feel like, yeah, man, I feel... Lacquer, you know, it's, it's good to hear that. For some of you, words don't matter too much. You want to be touched, you know, just, just touch me, hug me. Some of you guys are like, it's my space, don't get close to me, you know, rather give me a gift or something. All of us are wired differently, you know, because we've got a, we've got a love language. We've got a way in which joy and love and acceptance gets transmitted to us. And God created us in that way. And when we shut off our senses, when we stop feeling things, when we stop experiencing things, we are in a very real sense diminishing the divinity inside of us because God created us in his image. So if you think about it, if our five senses are in some way a reflection of who God is, then God can sense things. God can be touched. God can hear things. God can see things. God can taste things. God can smell things. Uh, a scripture, for instance, speaks about our prayers being like what? Incense, fragrance before God. So God can smell things, and when we come to Him and we pray to Him, it is like smell of freshly ground coffee. You know, for, for God, you know, prayer is to God as coffee is to some of you. All right, it's a sweet-smelling fragrance. It does something to God. And when we start getting all religious with God and we, we get stuck in a, in a way of living where we move away from experiencing joy, we are short-selling ourselves. Because God wants us to experience joy. God wants us to be in the moment. Trauma comes and trauma damages us, hurts us in such a way that we tend to switch off in certain areas of our lives. If you were emotionally hurt or physically hurt, or relationally hurt in some way, you tend to shut out the pain as a means of trying to escape or trying to survive. The difficulty with that is not only do you keep the pain out, you also keep the life out because you rely upon yourself. And for some of us, for seasons, we had to do that because the pain was so intense. The trauma was so intense. So the only way you could go on with your life was to dissociate. 
you either get into a fantasy, you get into another world, you, you try and imagine yourself out of your situation, or you escape into Facebook and you start living through a soapy, through a sports team, through a Facebook page. And, and Facebook nowadays has been proven to give you the same endorphins as coffee or any other, I almost said coffee and any other drug, as if coffee is a drug. Maybe it is, and maybe it's not, but, but you know, Facebook, the, the physical reaction that it sets off in you, the need, the urge to pick up that phone to see what somebody else is doing because all of a sudden now you feel joy because it's connected to that social media. It's the exact same thing as a drug. Maybe it's not Facebook, maybe it's sport, maybe it's studies, maybe it is um, drugs, sex, whatever it is, we have coping mechanisms. And sometimes we, we get into church and we, we go through life and we don't ask ourselves the question, where's my joy anchored? Where's my joy anchored? And very often, the, the only time, sadly enough, when we discover that is when many of you leave this environment. And you don't have the amazing atmosphere that this environment creates for you. I'm so thankful for this environment because this environment shaped me to a very large extent. I remember moments in God's presence in an environment like this. I remember life-changing conversations that I had with God. I remember moments when, when long after service was done, I was still worshiping, praising God at the front in Stellenbosch High, the very same school that they wanted to kick Christianity out of now. And, and I remember moments drenched in per perspiration where God came and he, he just did something in me. And I couldn't stop dancing. I remember those moments. I remember moments of spontaneous deliverance in the presence of God together with other believers. So this is so powerful. But you know what? For some of you, eventually, this will end. For some of you, you will not remain within this environment for the rest of your life. And you will go to Timbuktu, or you will go to Bujumbura, or you will go to Beaufort West, or you will go to Uppington, maybe, or to Pretoria. Some of you are shaking your heads, Jesus saw that, all right? You are in trouble. <laughs> you are in trouble because there's an angel heading your way. Father was just like, I saw that hand. Yes. You know, in the kingdom of God, a shake of the head is like, you're putting up your hand saying, Jesus, here I am, send me, I'm going to go, up into here I come, all right, so please be careful, be careful, the shaking of the head, it's a dangerous thing in the kingdom. You have to ask yourself the question, while you are here, in what or in who am I anchoring my joy? Is it an amazing band? Is it the fact that there are a couple of other hundred people who think the same way that you do, who are as excited as you are about going to church? Is, is there momentum that's carrying you along? And praise God for that momentum. That's, it's a slipstream, amen? Slipstreams are good. When you start exercise, you start training, you need a slipstream. But you cannot depend upon that slipstream for the rest of your life. Somewhere down the line, some of you guys have to make quality decisions to say that Jesus, you are my joy. Not the fact that most of my friends in the res or most of my friends at where I'm living are doing certain things. You are my joy. And maybe an opportunity like an exam is, is a good time for you to evaluate that. And I'm going to agree with C.S. I want to commend you guys for being here. I always, I always say during exam time, pray like you haven't studied at all. And study like you haven't prayed at all. Okay. <laughs> Pray like you haven't studied at all and study like you haven't prayed at all. 
you've got to do your bit. But I remember moments as well where God came through for me. I was in deep, deep trouble. And God came through for me, supernatural. I thank God for that. All right? But you have to, during this time, shift your focus maybe a little bit and say, Jesus, I want to be engaging with you even whilst I'm studying for my, my teaching career. So Revelation 4, verse 11, the introduction took me 20 minutes, so let me pick up speed. Revelation 4, verse 11, Revelation is always a good book to read. It's right at the end of your Bibles, and it speaks about the, the ending of everything, all right? And there's this beautiful chapter, Revelation 4. We see the throne of God. We see the 24 elders. We see um, the four living creatures. We see waterfalls and, and uh, thunder and lightning all going off at the same time. It's like an amazing scene that's taking place. And then everybody there just declaring the saying from the old King James Version, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. This is sort of wrapping everything up, right? After everything has been said and done, this is the song that we will be singing. Thou art worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things. For thy pleasure they are and were created. It is it's a fascinating scripture if you, would, if you would park on that long enough. It says, God, to him belongs all the honor, all the power, all the glory, all the might, and all the dominion. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need us. The reason why he's God is because he exists in himself. He doesn't need oxygen to survive. He doesn't need sunlight. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need people's approval. He exists in himself. He doesn't need us. All the power, all the might belong to him. He's completely self-sustaining, completely independent from everything else around him. And yet he has decided to create all things. Okay, now before you think of all the bad things and use an excuse for your, for your addiction, we understand that all things have been created good by God. The devil twists it. The devil doesn't create anything. He doesn't have the power to create life. He can only twist and misuse and abuse. But all things that are beautiful in their origin have been created by God. Thou hast created all things. The beautiful mountains around Stellenbosch. The beautiful lake in, uh, in Burundi. Massive, massive lake. Second largest lake in the, in the world just based on volume of water. It's the deepest point, 1.5 kilometers deep. That is like mind-bogglingly deep. Right? Just an incredibly beautiful, beautiful place. God created that lake, created the mountains created the sharks and the whales and, the, and just everything that you see around you. The billions of, of stars and the thousands upon thousands of galaxies, God created that. But they were created for His pleasure. I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, me looking forward to Liverpool winning. The joy that I'm anticipating. All right, I've now put it out there, guys. So on Saturday, if they don't win, please pray for me. All right, I'm just human. I'm going to need you to, to pray for me. But I'm looking forward to that day. And, and here is God designing the universe. And, and it says that he created everything for his pleasure. And then it says, and, and, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For his pleasure they exist and they were created. So, so all things in there include you. You sitting there listening to the sound of my voice. You were created for what? To write an exam, to make a living. Why were you created? You were created for God's pleasure. 
amplify the greatest moment of joy that you've experienced in your life. Now, just, just think about that for a moment. What was the last great, joyous moment that you can remember in your, in your life? For some of you, it was, it was here tonight, here in the, in the presence of God. But you don't have to get so spiritual. The last great moment that you remember that brought joy to your life, you thought, man, it is good to be alive. Amplify that exponentially beyond anything you can imagine. God says, I've, I've created you, and what you experienced in that moment is, is why I created you, because I created you for my pleasure. And so, so I can say with confidence that I, Heinrich Heitis, I exist for God's pleasure. I've been created for God's pleasure. You know, and that sets me free from what people are thinking about me and what they're saying about me and and, and, and even about my failures and my achievements because it takes me out of the realm of doing and it puts me in the realm of being. That I've been created for his pleasure. That God enjoys me. He gets a kick out of spending time with me. So I want to encourage you, if you forget everything that I've said, if we go home and just write this down, on actual fact, I know how the devil can steal thoughts out of our minds. Just let, where you're sitting now, why don't you just want to write this down or put this on your Gmo calendar or whatever. I, put your name in there, have been created for God's pleasure. I've been created for God's pleasure. Such a simple sentence, and, and, and yet you would find that every religious spirit we want to come and militate against that truth. I've been created for God's pleasure. I exist for God's pleasure. And if you, if you park on that long enough, you might discover, if you really think about it and you really unpack it, that you are not now saying that the things that I do is the reason why I give God pleasure. There's an element to that. There's an element to where our obedience pleases God. Don't, don't get me wrong, but that's not where we start. God doesn't get pleasure out of my life, first and foremost, because I've come tonight and I sang louder than my neighbor or jumped more or, or oh, extra brownie points because it was exam time when I came to church, you know? I can't. I can't work myself into God's pleasure and by definition can't work myself out of that place as well. I've been created for his, for his pleasure. He enjoys me. He just enjoys being with me. Enjoys hanging around with me. There's this beautiful verse in Psalm 147 verse, verse 10 to 11. It says his pleasure, right? God's joy, the thing that, that makes um, Father God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit high-five one another in heaven. That causes God to twirl around and dancing and rejoicing, saying, we had a good day. It's not in the strength of the horse, nor is his delight in the legs of the warrior. But the Lord delights, he rejoices in those who fear him. In other words, those who look to him for their very oxygen, their very breath, those who are dependent upon him, those who fear him, who can't live without him. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Who 
His unfailing love. So God doesn't delight in my degree. He doesn't delight in all my achievements, all my biblical qualifications. doesn't delight in me in the fact that I've gone to Burundi and we've had incredible experiences there. The fact that I'm a pastor of a congregation and serving as the leader of this movement. That ain't got nothing to do with God's delight in me. If all of those things that, that I'm doing doesn't flow out of the fact that I fear God and I rely upon God and I put my hope in God, then I'm missing the point. Lenny, you, you're a legend. <laughs> Snuck up here, just like, just like, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> the servant in action. All right, and so for, for, for people like myself, it's a, it's a constant challenge. And I've got to ask myself, am I basing my expectation of God's delight upon the things that I do? What if Burundi was an absolute train wreck? What if, what if we didn't do anything of eternal value there? There would have to be some conversations with God around that. God does desire fruit. It's clear. But that doesn't diminish God's joy in me. It's before I went to Burundi. It's before I was pastor of, this, of, this, of my congregation, before I did any of those things. Right, some of you in this room will do incredible things. You will shift momentum in nations and in communities. But you don't do that to win God's pleasure. You do that because you know He already delights in you. And that fuels you. That enables you. That empowers you. So, Last couple of nights, didn't sleep too well. Some of the kids are ill at home. Picked up a bit of a stomach bug in, in Burundi as well. So I'm fatigued, a little bit tired. And I walk into God's presence and His pleasure in me does something to me that sleep can't do. I'm going to catch up on my sleep a little bit tomorrow. But there's something of, of just standing in God's presence and allowing His pleasure to wash over one that re-energizes and revitalizes me beyond what any natural drug can do. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, and I want to just focus on this verse for a few minutes, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you a brilliant exam mark. He will surely do that. <laughs> delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you a beautiful wife. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you another phone as uh, the current brick that you're using right now. But the other day, so I'm wanting to do I have time to tell the story? Only for a few minutes. Okay, let me tell it very quickly. So we've got a, a 12-year-old girl, and she's at primary school still, and so we're having a discussion over phones, okay? And so we just want her to be in contact with us. We don't want her to have all the other stuff that's, that's on there. And so we go to the store, and there's this beautiful Nokia. It looks like a 3310. Have you heard of the 3310? Yeah, I know it's ancient, but making comeback. I was so excited. I'm like, yes, baby, here you go. You can't WhatsApp, can't anything. We can phone you. You can text us. She's like, okay, Dad, I'll go without the phone. <laughs> She'd rather not have a phone than that. What I thought was an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Okay, don't know why I said that. Anyway, so delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, of course, we can use this verse, and all of us are tempted to use this verse 
to get God to do things for us. Okay, but, but, but then you're not really delighting yourself in the Lord, are you? You're trying to bribe God. You're trying to manipulate God. You're trying to twist His arm by doing stuff for Him and then thinking He will then give you the desires of your heart. When, when you delight yourself in someone, you love that person, you spend time with that person, not because that person makes you f- feel good, look good, scores brownie points for you with the in people. You, you delight yourself in that person for the sake of that person. And, and this is what we're talking about with God, that we delight ourselves in God, not because of the stuff that He's going to do for us, but because we delight ourselves in Him. Because the fact that He loves me continues to blow my mind. The fact that He died for me is the most amazing thought, and I can't wrap my head around the fact that He chooses to use someone like me. I delight myself in Him. And then when you do that, you know what happens? Your desires, the desires of your heart start aligning themselves with, with God's desires. Now, I'm going to ask you in this room, what are the desires in your heart? What are the desires in your heart? You know, I've got some desires in my heart that's burning for Burundi. I told you to just come from there. I see a massive open door and opportunity that we have whilst there is a Christian president favorably inclined towards the church to, to go in there. And, I, and then I thought to myself, man, if I were 25 years younger when I finished teaching, I would, I would love to go there now, spend a year there and just teach those kids, empower the, the teachers, help with the curriculum development. I'm like, oh, Jesus, we could change this community. And it's, it's a desire that I, that I have. And I, and I realized with all of my desires, even for us as a church family, I've got to start at the beginning. I've got to start with me personally delighting myself in God. All the thousand things going through my mind of different congregations and different things that have to be sorted out. If I don't delight myself in God, you know what happens? You start getting into works mode. You start working, working, working. And the desires of your heart becomes a snare for your soul. Robs you of your joy, robs you of your peace. And I believe that God is wanting to just say to us, Come back to delighting yourself in Him. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. From you flows all things. You know that song we sing? You are worthy of it all. Is it the song we sing or is it an anthem of our heart? Is it the song that we sing or is it an anthem Some of you are going home over this holiday. Practice making Christ your focus outside of a beautiful community like this. Because you're going to need it. And if you find yourself not worshiping, you find yourself drifting from Him, just come back. Just say, Jesus, help me to delight myself in you. Teach me how to do that. And you will find that He's going to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. We backtrack to the beginning of that psalm. Remember, um, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Let's, let's backtrack, because sometimes we can take Scripture a little bit out of context. So verse 1 says, Do not worry because of evildoers, nor be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. There's so much in our lives that we build because it flows out of worry and envy. 
You think about many of the things we buy, many of the decisions we make, how much of that actually flowed out of worry over lack, being lonely, being, being isolated, being rejected, being not accepted. Well, whatever the case might be, a lot of the things that, that we build our lives around can flow out of those motivations. And then and Scripture says, do not worry about evildoers. Do not worry about the, the, the things that the world holds before us. This will truly make you happy. A friend and I had this conversation this morning, and he said, isn't it just so weird that it seems that sometimes, and I know we can romanticize poverty, right? So I'm not talking about that. But sometimes it would appear that the less you have, the, the clearer your choices are in terms of where to put your joy. And sometimes it would appear that the more you have, the more difficult it becomes to separate your joy and your identity from the stuff that you have. And then it is important to remind yourself that all of these things, everything will be burned away. Everything will fade. Every single thing you see around you will fade away. Everything that you now think is so important, I cannot live without this, I need this thing, it will become dust and air. It will fade away. So what are you worried about? Is, is there something in you maybe that's driving you to prove someone wrong? I think I've told the story a few times, but for a large portion of, of my life, I was, I was driven to, to prove someone wrong. It spoke something negative over my life. It made a, made a racial declaration over me as to what I would become in the community I'm a part of. And, and for a large portion of my life, I was driven trying to prove that person wrong. And I did a lot of things, and nobody would know that on the outside, but in my heart, it was out of a desire to just, I'm going to show him, act kind and based. All right, and, and, and God says, don't live for a, a man's opinion. Separate yourself from this. That can never give you joy, because you know what? Once you've done the one thing, the goalposts just shift. You've got to do the other thing, and the other thing, and the other thing to win people to Jesus. Worry and envy has to bow, have to bow the knee before joy. Trust, rely on, and have confidence in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed securely on His faithfulness. It's beautiful and amplified. Trust means to rely on and to have confidence, not in your skill, not in the legs of the strength of the horse or the legs of the warrior, but to have confidence in the Lord and to do good. Have confidence in God's Holy Spirit in you during the exam time. Have confidence in the Holy Spirit. The Amplified speaks about uh, Job that says that there's a vital force of intelligence inside of me and the breath of Almighty God gives me wisdom. There's a vital force of intelligence inside of me and the breath of Almighty God gives me wisdom. Have confidence in the Holy Spirit to be your paraclete to help you, but then also have confidence in Him and do good. Study. Fill in your tax form, be on time, be courteous, be forgiving, do good. But trust in God, rely on Him, and dwell in the land and feed securely on His faithfulness. And this is my invitation to you. I just felt the Lord is saying, some of you, you, you're passing through this year so quickly. I felt in my heart that some of you are finishing off this year, and God is wanting to say to you, He's got so many trees, bederfis stored up for you this year still. And he wants you to slow down spiritually. Dwell in the land. Don't rush through the land. Amen. Dwell in the land. Give your senses back to God. 
God, I want to taste things, see things, hear things, smell things. God, I was crushed in this environment. Some of you, you brought your scars to the Lord. It was so from God. But you know, that scar is trying to blunt something. It's trying to numb something. It's a flip side to that scar. Bring that scar, flip it around. See the joy that God has in store for you. Psalm 37. Let's praise the Lord. It's got an exclamation mark there, right? So let me try that again. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. See us, what's ahead of me prophetically there. This is what I feel God has for us tonight. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. You've, you've, you've got to just acquire the capacity during your exam time now to sing over your exam. As you're in your room and you walk up and down before you sit down to study, sing, allow a new song to rise up on the inside of you and sing over your exam. Because remember, we're not talking about an exam here. We're talking about a key. You're doing this exam because God has got an open door for you somewhere. Your, your teaching, engineering exam is a key into destiny that God has for you. And so you've got to learn in this process to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praises in the assembly of the faithful, right? Here where we are, this is where you practice. All right, you guys are gracious. I sing it to my falsest, and you are so generous. All right, you listen. It's amazing. Sing His praises in the assembly of the faithful. Oh, Israel, rejoice. Many reasons why we should rejoice because of God's marvelous deeds. The Bible is clear on that. But here, here, he, he zones in on, oh, Israel, rejoice in your maker. I was so challenged by that verse, and I'm like, Jesus, how often do I just rejoice in you for the sake of who you are? Rejoice in him. Rejoice in him. We, we know us as dads what happens to our hearts when our kids rejoice in us. They run to us, want to spend time with us. It's indescribable how much more our father when we rejoice in him. O people of Jerusalem, exalt in your king, praise his name with dancing. All right, this is not a shofar doctrine. <laughs> praise his name with dancing. Right, you, you don't just need to sing to praise God. You can sing and you can dance, accompanied by tambourine and electric guitar and bass and all this stuff and the DJ board, all those things, right? You can scratch away and praise God. <laughs> For the Lord, okay. Why, we, why do we delight? We go back. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praises. Rejoice in your maker. Exalt in your king. Praise his name. Dance before him. Why? Verse 4. For the Lord delights in his people. And that's a crazy truth again. The reason why I can rejoice in God is because God rejoices in me. He's not saying, the Lord rejoices over you, Israel, because you are rejoicing in Him. Oh, Israel, behold, the Lord's rejoicing over you because you are exalting Him and you are dancing before Him. Israel, that's why God is rejoicing over you. He says, no, it's the opposite. Israel, you can dance, you can sing, you can play your electric guitar, you can, you can bos gaan, hoekom van God gaan bos oor jou. He's got a whole choir up in heaven going ballistic over you. Thunder and lightning, he's rejoicing over you. And if there's something in your mind that struggles with that concept, then it should, because it is too mind-blowing for us as human beings to think 
that that is the way that God feels of us. I wouldn't have put that in there necessarily because that is not a man revelation. You will find no other religion speaking of a deity that rejoices in his worshippers that way. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.